0: Welcome to the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is the evening before January 6th, and I was thinking about um, where I was and what I was thinking on January 5th, 2021. I, I, I could make the case that uh, that I fully expected that uh, you know what happened uh, the next day was going to happen, but like I think a lot of Americans, um, it came as as such a shock. What I do remember though is sitting at home and uh, telling my wife that I wasn't going to spend too much time uh, watching the election returns because I simply assumed the Republicans were going to win those Senate elections in Georgia. And uh, so as I'm you know, scrolling through Twitter, which of course is where all information comes from, it began to dawn on me like, no, I, my God. And I re- remembered, uh, I, I dug up a, a tweet uh, from Denver Riggleman, the former congressman, who's now on the staff of the January 6th committee. And on the evening of January 5th, He tweeted out, my fear from years of military intelligence experience is this. How does this coalition of the insane react tomorrow if it looks like the Dems won Georgia? The call to revolt is based on dehumanizing theories and messianic themes. It's merging into a conspiracy sticky bomb with a short fuse. And, of course, we all know what happened the next day. Uh, and we are joined on today's podcast by Olivia Nuzi, who is the Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. And, uh, first of all, uh, Olivia, uh, happy birthday because your birthday is January 6th. You share uh, January 6th um, as, well, we're never going to forget your birthday from now on, I guess.
1: My uh, sister-in-law's birthday is nine eleven, and I, I think hers is worse. But I, yeah, I've been contemplating. Perhaps I should change it to a different day or something, because it feels like. It's impossible to, uh, to associate this date with anything else for the rest of time now.
0: So I want to talk to you about your absolutely hilarious and fascinating and incredibly insightful piece about Dr. Oz uh, in, in the magazine. But one of the things I really um, like about your reporting, um, Olivia, is that you report about the reporting, that you tell the story about writing the story. And I think a lot of listeners will remember your back and forth about Rudy Giuliani where, you know, you were, you were, you were texting buddies with Rudy for a while, right? I mean, before, he's blocked you now, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely, he blocked me on Twitter, um, which I think is new. I mean, I, I, um, people kept sending me a tweet of his, I think a week ago and I, I clicked on it finally and I couldn't see it and then I realized that he blocked me. Um, but, um, I mean, texting buddies, I don't know if I would go that <laughs> far, but it, it was you know, not difficult to get his various phone numbers, as we all know, and he just was very free in how he'd respond, and I, I, I initially, I did a story about him texting, and so that's how the process of, of the behind-the-scenes stuff was sort of the point of that story. It was all about his phone comportment, and that's where that really started. And then it kind of just turned into an ongoing drama with whether or not Rudy was talking to me.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I certainly didn't mean to imply that you were buddies in any way. whatsoever. Like my buddy, Dan Bongino or something (laughs) like that, or my buddy, Tucker Carlson. But so do you have any overarching theory about what happened to Rudy Giuliani? I just find it such an extraordinary story because obviously, you know, had he passed away in the you know, year, a few years after 9-11, um, we'd have schools named after him in every city. There'd be statues of him. The airport might have been named after him. And now he's he's kind of a punchline. I mean, do you, you've you interacted with him. What well, what do you think, you know, what do you, what do you think happened? What goes on in his mind?
1: It's Well, his direct quote to me when I asked him about his legacy was, uh, quote, my opinion of my legacy is fuck it. Um, he is just not preoccupied with that. And I, I think it's something, when I first started approaching the tragedy of Rudy Giuliani, of what had become of him, um, I thought that I would, I guess I thought I would find a satisfying answer to the question that you're asking me now. Yeah. And what I've sort of found is that the people who ask that question or the people who refuse to believe that it could be as simple as it looks, that this is someone who just wanted proximity to power, who just wanted money, who just wants attention, oftentimes are people who knew him very well or worked for him at the height or uh, you know before the decline became visible. And they, I think, to admit that it is that simple would be to kind of admit something fundamentally disgusting about the business of politics and uh, fundamentally shallow about, about this world. And I think that's very difficult for, for many people for for obvious reasons. And so I, I still talk to people who believe that there's some sort of, there must be some sort of reason that would satisfy them to explain what has happened to him. But I really think that it is whether or not it's true that there is some sort of mental decline or some sort of dependence on substances, uh, I think it is still true that this is someone who's motivated by greed and selfishness and and a desire for attention.
0: And not much more complicated than that. I think sometimes we, we, we search for these overarching explanations um to to explain the shock of reality in his particular case so let, let, let's shift to uh, your incredible piece about dr oz because i also think that i mean i think it's first of all it's a hilarious piece it's an interesting piece but also really very much an artifact of our time that a guy like dr oz um is running for the united states senate and is is taken is taken seriously so can we just start by walking through the, the story is because you tell this story of driving to A strip mall in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, where Dr. Oz supposedly has his campaign headquarters. What did you find there? Because this sort of had a Four Seasons vibe to it, didn't it?
1: It did. I mean, it was not far. I realized actually while I was driving there that I had driven through some of the same streets while I was working on a story about Four Seasons total landscaping Mm -hmm. um, in search of someone who worked there, I think. I was knocking on doors or something. Um, And... I, um, but it did have very much that vibe. And I considered stopping by Four Seasons and, and saying hello to the people there, but I didn't have time to. <laughs> but um, I found not much. I mean, there, it's very early in the campaign. And so I want to be fair, you know, it's not as though there should be some big get out the vote effort uh, a couple days into a Senate campaign. But it, there were just very few signs of life um, at the alleged headquarters for this operation. And it, led me to, uh, because I had failed to reach the campaign and the candidate through the, like, official channels and I try to respect uh, when I go about reporting on a profile, um, I figured I would, before I left town, I would reach out to the Oz's directly, and that led to a sort of ridiculous scene involving Mrs. Oz uh, failing to hang up the phone on me.
0: Oh, Dad, this is one of those amazing stories. First of all, the, the technological be careful Uh, story. So basically you, you meet this handyman painter who calls Oz's father-in-law to help you get connected with the campaign, right? The call is not returned. So you decide to call Lisa Oz directly, who's a self-help author, the wife of, of Dr. Oz. So tell me about the phone call. So you're calling the wife and what happens?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know how other reporters feel, but like, I never want to start out by calling the wife you know, I, th- I figure I'll go through official channels first. I'll try and reach the candidate then, um, his or herself. And then maybe as a last resort, I'll go through, you know, other people involved uh, or associated with the candidate. And I finally had reached that point. I was on a deadline um, and I called her and we I thought maybe we were disconnected or she hung up. I wasn't sure. So I called her back um, and then it became very it, it was very clear she was very annoyed to to be hearing from me, um, and she attempted to hang up on me uh, very soon after the call started. And then I re- and I was about to hang up myself, and then I realized I heard her talking, and I was very confused because she was talking about me. And I said sort of like, uh, you know, hello, uh, and nobody answered. But then uh, Doctor Oz his voice is unmistakable to me. I grew up watching uh, his show. He came on the line and it became clear that they, she had obviously mistakenly like connected the car, the phone to the car that they were in. Um, to so their- the phone
0: line doesn't disconnect. You. you're listening into this bizarre back and forth between Dr. Oz and his wife.
1: Yeah. I was trying to interject and, and because um, I was still hopeful at this point that, um, that they would cooperate with me and that they would, you know, do an interview and have me come around uh, the state with them as they were starting on the campaign. So I was very much kind of a naive optimist uh, approaching them looking for access for my story. And I was totally, I mean, I was sort of sitting there uh, in my, like, rental car with my jaw on the floor listening to this for, for four and a half minutes.
0: Well, listening to them describe you as this fucking girl reporter. <laughs>
1: what? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, they all worked up. They were worked up because you'd interviewed a friend of this couple named Michelle, right? And they were upset about this. I mean, we're going to get to the substance of this. But this story is so amazing that they're having this paranoid discussion about you and about what their friend told you. And you're listening in on all this, and they are unsophisticated enough to realize that, that they're broadcasting all of this.
1: Yeah. And look, these are two very smart people. Um, you know, Dr. Oz is has all of these, you know, Ivy League degrees. He's obviously a brilliant man in in this one area um, of, or maybe more than one area, uh, maybe not in politics. I guess time will tell. Um, his wife uh, claims to be a member of Mensa. Um, and so I was sort of sitting there thinking you know, these are two geniuses, surely. Sure, right. (laughs) But it's also my, I mean, isn't it your worst nightmare that, you know, you hang up the phone with somebody or you, you get into your car after being at a party or something and you go to... To talk shit about them to yourself or your friend, and they're listening. Um, So part of me was just like, "Oh yikes!" You know, this is a this is such a nightmare. But I was also really upset by it because they were they were lying about me. They were you know accusing me of having lied um, to the the painter that you mentioned, John Palma, and uh, they were. Uh, referencing a, an, an accusation that Corey Lewandowski had made about me a couple of years ago that was that is not true. Um, and it was sort of upsetting to hear. I mean, I, I know some people, if you watch the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, the first episode is someone hosting his own funeral, um, and, and attending it and wanting to hear what people have to say about him, I'm like the opposite of that. I don't want to hear what people have to say about me. Um, and so I found it kind of horrifying and, and upsetting, and, and I was uh, like very disturbed by it. And and
0: uh, and, and, it and yet
1: it, to view it as a positive thing in terms of
0: material. And yet it made for a great story. I mean, this was this was material. So so let's just step back a bit about just, just you know, setting the scene for why Dr. Oz is running for the United States Senate. So the the designated Trumpy candidate in Pennsylvania was Sean Parnell. And he was forced to drop out of the race in late November after these accusations of child and spousal abuse from his ex-wife. And Dr. Oz gets into this race eight days later. And as you write, uh, he he gets into the race advertising himself with a combination of MAGA slogans, medical puns, and references to his own brand. So He releases an ad from a group that made ads for Trump. He goes on Hannity, goes on Newsmax. Um, But, uh, you know, let's talk about how his campaign rolls out. In your story, you kind of shift gears after this episode of the conversation in the car to point out that, you know, Dr. Oz, the whole Dr. Oz phenomenon is, is, of the oprah winfrey phenomenon and, and you describe this that all i know for sure is that my mother met oprah winfrey before i met my mother and for the duration of her brief life no deity or dignity inspired in her such sustained faithfulness so oprah and oprah's world was always part of your world is talk to me about that uh, because I, I think again oprah winfrey as a cultural phenomenon and then dr oz trailing in her wake.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I grew up watching Oprah... Every day at four o'clock. And to the extent that, like, I know for sure that this article would not exist without Oprah Winfrey, because it was while I was watching Oprah Winfrey that I first became interested in politics, not even because of Oprah, but because I witnessed news cut in with Governor Jim McGreevy's press conference, in which he resigned when I was like 11. And Mm -hmm. that sparked my obsession with politics. And and it was because of that that I got involved in politics and and eventually political media and ended up at New York. Magazines, so I can say with certainty that uh, watching Oprah directly led to my article about Dr. Oz, and I grew up, you know, watching her and then paying attention to the other, you know, experts that she would bring into her viewers' lives, whether it was Dr. Phil or um, Susie Orman or Nate Berkus, an interior designer, or Dr. Oz is probably the, the most important one in my household because my mother was very health conscious and, and uh, interested in whatever new age dietary advice uh, anyone had to tell her. And so when I went about researching this story, um, I mean, part of my interest in doing the story to begin with was I, I felt when I saw the initial kind of rumbling about him perhaps getting involved in the race, I saw a lot of sneering from Mm -hmm. our colleagues in, in the media and I kind of thought, well, this seems like a pretty bad miscalculation and it seems like dismissing all the people who grew up watching him or who have a high opinion of him, regardless of what John Oliver says or Claire McCaskill says. Um, and I thought that I sort of had a, an understanding of that. And that was my motivation for doing it to be.
0: Well, I, I think this is this is crucial because, you know, as I look back on the, on the Trumpian phenomenon, the thing that I missed and I think a lot of people in the political media missed was that, you know, we were rolling our eyes at Donald Trump. But tens of millions of people had been watching him on The Apprentice for years and we didn't fully understand the impact of that, as you point out you know, your your mom was not alone. I mean, you know, when Oprah recommends a book, millions of people read it when she, you know, tries a diet that people adopt it. Right. I mean, and so when Oprah said, here's my friend, Dr. Oz, who is this brilliant cardiac surgeon He's got this beautiful family. I mean, people paid attention and he was a major cultural figure here. Right. I mean, he, and he had all of these tips for eating, losing weight, looking for superfoods and everything. So, just give me your sense about who he was at that time, because you you describe him, um, you know, Oprah asked another daytime host about Oz before bringing him on, and, and she was told, you report, that he's really smart, a great-looking guy who had that it factor. So he becomes a regular, and then he gets his own show. I mean, how big was he?
1: I mean, at the time that he launched, he, I was looking at some of the ratings um, from that time and he was averaging something like f- more than three million viewers in the afternoon when when his his own show launched. And that's an incredible number for the middle of the afternoon um, to look back on now in this era when comparatively nobody's watching television. And I, I didn't make this, I mean, I made the connection between The Apprentice uh, and, and Dr. Oz in the piece, but I didn't make the connection that this is the same era of television that we're talking about. You know, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, that is when The Apprentice was, you know, launching and and reaching its peak as well. Um, and The Apprentice. I mean, I grew up watching that as well. I remember kids mm-hmm. telling each "They're fi- You know, you're fired on the on the playground. And we're also looking at a time period where the obesity epidemic is becoming more and more something that we're aware of. And I think people were really looking for guidance and I and looking for. You know, answers. And, you know, I know in my house, he was incredibly well respected. And I mean, he had mainstream credentials. He was at Columbia Presbyterian. He'd gone to Harvard. He'd gone to Penn. He had a business degree from Wharton in addition to a medical degree. He was an incredibly well respected surgeon. And so there was no reason to think, you know, this is a, a con artist. Or uh, someone selling snake oil. So,
0: so what happened there? Because you know he had it all going for him in that particular way. And then was it a gradual process that he began peddling the snake oil? That he became the scam artist? You know the, you know you talk to a daytime producer says he went from being a doctor to a scam artist who can't be trusted. You know he thinks he has some divine power. So what what was going on with him? I mean, how, what was driving that ambition?
1: I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, my best understanding of it is that you know I write in the piece that um, consistency is the thief of content and what I meant by that mm. is that to sustain the Dr. Oz brand, which not was not just a TV show but a podcast, uh, a radio show, dozens of books, a magazine, dozens of articles written for other magazines, other publications, appearances on Oprah, appearances on Late night. Uh, he's in men's health, he's in time, it's an astounding amount of material and to sustain that, to to continue to feed that machine, you need information. You need hmm. what to tell people, frankly. And I, I found, cause I, I figured, okay, well, while I do this piece, I'm going to revisit some of his advice and I'm going to, you know, try and follow his dietary and lifestyle advice for the duration of this reporting. I'm, you know, it's, I'm bored anyway, <laughs> It's something to do at the very <laughs> least something to write about. And I, I think it'll give me a better understanding of, of the nature of his advice and, and whether or not it's any good. And I figured, well, easy, he's written so many books. He's written so many articles. He's talked about it for, for two decades. It'll be very simple to figure out what to do. And it, Actually, what I found was that it was almost impossible to figure out what he allegedly does himself, what type of advice hmm. or diet uh, he follows, because he's constantly changing what he claims uh, he adheres to. And so sometimes he's intermittent fasting. Sometimes he's not eating fish. Sometimes he's a vegan. Sometimes he's doing this type of exercise or that type of exercise, it was very difficult to figure out how he lives and and, uh, how he eats. And I I figured it was because he just needs to continue to update people with new information in order to feed this, this beast of the Dr. Oz machine. And so I think, you know, I was talking to a former producer on the show who was talking about how at the time that they started, there was a lot of anxiety. The The whole place seemed to be humming with anxiety because Dr. Oz had been brought before Congress already and reprimanded for having hyped uh, yeah. miracle weight loss cures and miracle substances. Um, and so people were very nervous, and Dr. Oz was very nervous about overstating any claim or um, coming across as, uh, as scammy. And then over time, that started to sort of, fade away and suddenly dr oz is trying to incorporate true crime on the show and then he's doing it twice a week and three times a week um and it's because that's what's hot right now and he needs higher ratings because the ratings are starting to fall off and there was just sort of a this person described him as a uh, quote just wanting to fucking win yeah and, yeah, one of
0: his former producers, right? Said yeah, yeah. what Was not a shock that he was running for office because that's what motivates him. He just wants to fucking win.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, there are people who are wired that way, you know, who just want whatever they're doing, whether it is heart surgery or television or running for office, they are just hardwired in that competitive way. And it seems like he is. Now, I mean, I could psychoanalyze him. I didn't do this in the piece. and. Mm-hmm. And talk about his relationship with his father, uh, who, who died a couple of years ago, who he was never good enough for. He talked about that uh, a bit publicly. He talked about it with Frank Bruni uh, in the New York Times magazine in, in 2010, I believe. Um, his father, he told Bruni the story about how his father, um, when he made it onto Times' most influential list, his father's reaction was to ask him what number he was because he thought it was a ranking. Really, <laughs> <laughs> tells you the type of uh, the type of worldview that that he was raised with.
0: Okay, so now he's jumped into this Senate race, and Republicans really don't know what to make of him, and uh, a lot of Republicans are not happy with, with uh, his new career ambitions. And this is what you write. An elite pro choice, anti gun, transgender child supporting Michelle Obama hugging Muslim carpetbagger and Turkish army veteran who once announced on national television that his testicles descend in such a way that his penis curves to the left. That's a sample of the data conservative Republicans cite as proof that Dr. Oz is a threat to their plans to win the Senate in 2022. And that's just what they've identified in the vast public record available courtesy of Dr. Oz himself. The Oppo researchers have barely started. Uh, so again, how is this playing out? He's had kind of a rocky entry into the race. I uh, clearly has got a lot of skeptics. He went on television. He was, you know, asked about, you know, his pro-life positions and he didn't handle it that well, did he?
1: No, he didn't. He sort of, he came at the question very self-assured at first and, and kind of rattled off clearly what he had decided was, was, a. Uh, A satisfying answer to this which is that you know he's pro-life uh with three exceptions um and the host on Fox did not respond well to that and and pressed him for more information uh for when exactly life begins and uh he just completely screwed it up and it became sort of a, a viral moment but before even that I mean I had operatives, people sending me tweets of his, with his you're know, calling for more action on guns or praising Michelle Obama for her anti-obesity efforts. All of that stuff was circulating among the kind of far right operative base. And I, you know, I was very dismissive of this at first when I first started reporting on this, because I thought, well, you know, Trump wasn't a pure conservative, right? I right, mean, right. people got over that pretty, pretty fucking quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dr. Oz has just not been identified as the guy this time around. The guy is David McCormick, um, who is a, a hedge fund uh, guy married to Dina Powell, the uh, Goldman Sachs alum who who worked for Donald Trump briefly. Um, and he is broadly viewed as the person who will inherit Sean Parnell's MAGA support. And he has a whole fleet of former trump white house uh staffers ready to work for him
0: so you you you, you have an interesting uh, characterization of mccormick now he hasn't announced right he's expected to announce yep. imminently in, in any day now yep so you're right in trump world mccormick is widely seen as a man with an inconvenient background who might pan out anyway I hate to say this, but if you're not willing to go full retard in a Republican primary right now, it's hard. The expectations are what they are, says a MAGA operative involved in the Pennsylvania race. He's got an uphill battle as a hedge fund CEO, but he's done a good job so far. So so that raised a lot of eyebrows that they're saying that, you know, that right now, the requirement is it was that sort of a reference to what's going on in Ohio, the Josh Mandel, um, J.D. Vance race to who can who can pander the most stupidly to the MAGA base?
1: I mean, I think it's a reference more broadly to what it has required in the Trump era to get ahead on the right. Um, I, you know, it wasn't specifically about Ohio. Um, but, you know, it just spoke to me when I, when I heard that come out of that person's mouth, I was like, man, I have not heard a more, a more cynical, more clear eyed assessment from someone involved about what the, what the deal is on the right right now, uh, for, for people running at a primary.
0: So this Pennsylvania race, I mean, this is kind of crucial, obviously for Republicans to win the Senate, you know, looking to replace uh, Senator Toomey. Now, talk to me about the political scheme here, because you point out, you know, obviously he wants to, you know, woo suburban women who've been his fan base for 20 years. And you write that he's got to prove to the party that he won't fuck up their plans to win back the Senate. Um, and so his plan is, as you point out, to to get these Parnell supporters and cash in on the celebrity, win moderates with college degrees, and then, you know, promote his his Trumpism. I mean, that seems like a very, very complicated needle to thread
1: it is I mean I, I think it's important to everyone that I talked to who who was watching this closely and uh, has you know involved in Republican politics was stressing to me that Pennsylvania is not Virginia and to pull off what youngkin pulled off in Virginia yeah uh, is not as easy a feat there uh, because the primary is so much more difficult. You can't just kind of uh, bulldoze through a primary and then delicately handle um, who you appeal to and and whose support you embrace uh, during a general and hope that, you know, the dance works out and, and you pull it off. Here, you have to make a much more full throated appeal to the right wing base. And of course, that's the very thing that could kill you in a general. And so while I, you know, I talked to Democrats who were very nervous about Oz, they are. And, hmm. you know, trying to stress to other Democrats that they shouldn't be underestimating him and and that it's a mistake to kind of do with him what, what they did with Trump, basically. And I think that's fair. But I, I also think it's going to be very, very difficult for him to pull this off in the primary. There is just a lot of skepticism of him. And like Trump, he has a record, you know, going back a few decades of public statements that can be wielded against him and are being wielded against him And now. will be. Yeah. It's the question of, you know, does he have the quality that Trump had that allowed him to, to pull it off anyway? And I don't know that he does. He hasn't, um, I mean, this is a superficial, completely unscientific observation, but when when you do watch him in these appearances, in the most softballiest of softball interviews... Um, he has a sort of anxiety about him, or like a an edginess, a nervousness. He just doesn't seem self assured. And I, I was talking to one Republican operative who, who was making the point to me that it's true you could hurl the same accusations at Trump that people are hurling at Oz about phoniness and you know about past positions he may have uh, held. Trump was media trained in a particular way that mm-hmm. made him well suited to to handle antagonistic press. And he also had answers for, for questions that people were hurling at him. Whether or not they satisfied you or me, they they made sense to the people that he was trying to appeal to. You know, when he said, yeah, I, I supported Hillary because I bought and sold Hillary. Maybe you or I said, well, you know, what the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> but there were a lot of people who thought that was compelling. Oz does not, so far... Seem to uh, have a strategy for dealing with that. He doesn't seem as light on his feet or as charismatic, and I think that'll that'll hurt him.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those examples of you know people who think that you know success in one field transfers into politics. And this oh, is right. kind of a obviously you know part of this Trumpian era or post Trumpian era, whatever, where people look at Donald Trump and think, hey, if he can run and win, why can't I? You know, oh, Herschel Walker is running out. Other celebrities run right, I and mean, you know.
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, surgeons are, are famously arrogant, and and you know think that they're God. Um, and everything that I I heard about Oz from people who know him quite well uh, is that you know this is a very very confident man um, who has very big ambitions and has never been shy about about sharing those ambitions uh, with the people around him. Um, it was always clear he wanted to run for office. It was clear that he was a kind of social climbing, very savvy, shrewd negotiator <laughs> with the world, and it was going to get what he wanted. Uh, he had told one friend who spoke to me, who's very upset about this race, that he wanted to run for president. So I think it's a combination of Trump sort of creating this environment where people like that feel empowered um, to go for it, and Dr. Oz having the type of personality that made him well-suited for a kind of uh kooky endeavor like this to begin well, with.
0: I think he could think he could be so he did have one encounter with uh with Donald Trump that uh, that you recount in the story. He actually had Dr. Oz had Trump on his show back in 2016 <laughs> and miraculously Trump weighed in just below the uh BMI for obesity. Um and uh some of the producers were apparently were furious over that. They thought that maybe that wasn't really on the up and up,
1: which is of course, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, shocking. If you remember this now, I, I've forgotten so much from the last several years uh, of Trump. But uh Trump's crazy doctor at the time, the guy who kind of looked like Warren Zevon, uh, if Warren Zevon had been like a oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um he he had this letter, you know, praising Trump's good health. And Trump was not releasing more detailed medical records at the time during the election. And Dr. Oz came through and had Trump on the air and and sort of certified his clean bill of health and um didn't press him too much. I mean, he acknowledged that he was overweight. And and they Trump talked about how, you know, it's hard and he needs to lose weight, but it's hard with his lifestyle, something like that. Um But otherwise, you know, just sort of let him off uh, without too much trouble. And the producer I spoke with was saying behind the scenes, they're all watching this and they're just saying, you know, is anyone going to question him? Like, what are we doing? And people were horrified. Um, As you can imagine, a lot of a lot of more left leaning people um, working in television, people were horrified that that Oz clearly liked Trump.
0: And did he fudge the numbers? I mean,
1: I, I mean, that, that I don't know. Um, and I, I don't know if that would have been, you know, Oz or, or Trump's doctor at the time. Um, but Oz has been, you know, he he then had Ivanka Trump on the air um, during the administration. And he also he bought a house in Palm Beach, this this 18 million dollar estate that I um, drove past it in the course of my reporting. And I realized that Around the corner, huh. when you finally get away from the um, like residential estates there, and you turn the corner, the first thing I saw was Anthony Weiner's brother's restaurant. <laughs> he had opened one up uh, right by uh, Dr. Oz's house in Palm Beach. I thought that was very amusing. Oh, but, this is like, um,
0: a, this is like a collision of all the planets.
1: I know. I, mean. <laughs> I felt like yeah. I, I very it was very disorienting for me. Um, but I. He bought this estate in in Palm Beach. I think it's like an eighteen million dollar estate in um, in twenty fifteen. He bought it through a through a trust controlled by a lawyer who later was indicted during the Trump administration. Incidentally, but that's another story. And he tried to kind of make himself a part of Palm Beach society, and he's still trying to do that. He was he was down there this past weekend uh, for a party around New Year's. Um, He's befriended some people in that world. He did a fundraiser a few weeks ago in New York with John Castamitidis that uh, Bo Diedel was at. Bo Diedel told me he gave him $5,000 and he's mm, looking okay. you know, for the best. Um, Bo Diedel's brother, incidentally, I love this story. I couldn't find a place for it in this piece, but working on anything about Dr. Oz, you have to reach out to so many random celebrities and random public figures So besides reaching out to, like, Oprah and Martha Stewart and Dr. Phil and people like that, I realized that Bo Dietl's brother, Frank, had once sued Dr. Oz for promoting false health claims. And I I called Bo Dietl and he said, uh, yeah, I can't talk about that because he's got one of those, uh, what do you call him? one of those NGAs.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I
1: thought that was very amusing.
0: So you reached out to Oprah Winfrey. Which, you know, circling back to Dr. Oz, is we're talking about Dr. Oz because because of Oprah Winfrey. Uh, doesn't look like Oprah Winfrey's going to be helping him out that much.
1: No, I, her statement is, you know, not a ringing endorsement, I guess you could say, to put it mildly. Um, it sort of just acknowledges that, uh, you know, Dr. Oz, well, she doesn't call him Dr. Oz, that Mehmet Oz exists in the world and is running for office and I think she says and it's up to the people of, of Pennsylvania to decide you know what to do about that. I'm paraphrasing
0: well I thought it was awfully interesting and I know that you did too on on, on Twitter um, not a, didn't seem to be a, a, a casual um, omittance that she didn't call him dr Oz she just refers to him as Mehmet Oz
1: right I mean one of the only things to happen so far in this race um, you know, very little has happened, he hasn't been running that long, is that the Philadelphia Inquirer um, made the decision to drop the doctor when they refer to him. So they refer to him in their coverage now as Mehmet Oz. And uh, Oz responded to this by trying to spin it as an example of cancel culture. Um, and he, he did this very dramatic, like, video with the paper and said, I will not be canceled. Um, and it hasn't really worked in terms of a, you know, a marketing ploy for him uh, for the right, but it is one of the you know only events of this campaign so far. And so I, I find it very difficult to believe that there's any universe in which Oprah Winfrey, probably one of the greatest communicators uh, of our time, made this decision to omit the doctor for no reason at all.
0: So Libby, You wind down the piece by pointing out that his wife once wrote about uh, Dr. Oz, that there had been a moment in his medical career when I got the sense that he was stagnating. And for Mehmet, that was tantamount to death. And so they talk about it, talk about the problem, and it became evident that he wanted a steeper learning curve, more variety in his routine, and the chance to have a bigger impact in the world. And the solution to that at that point was a television show. So now is this the solution is politics that he that this is Dr. Oz's latest chapter to keep his learning curve going?
1: Yeah, I mean, there obviously is a, a lot of guesswork involved in, in identifying someone's motives. And and it's impossible to know for sure what is driving someone to do anything because people are inherently unknowable and, and, you know, all of the caveats apply. <laughs> but um, it, it seems like Dr. Oz is just one of those people who climbs mountains. That's what he likes to do. That's how he approaches life. And when he's done with one challenge, he has to move on to the next one. And I talked to Frank Bruni a lot uh, from the times going when I was going about this reporting. He was kind of my, my guide through the process. And he was extremely generous and, and helpful uh, because he has, had written one of the best profiles of Oz. And he wrote it back in 2010 when Oz was really at, at, you know, the height. He had just been on the time list. He was doing really well in the ratings. His show had recently launched and he was still practicing medicine. He was still a, you know, a surgeon. And through the course of his reporting, Bruni got a lot of access, unlike me. <laughs> and through the course of his reporting, he kind of experienced for himself this uh, incongruous dual nature of, uh, Doctor Oz's life, where on the one hand, he was producing this kind of brain dead television show where they're doing all sorts of goofy stuff to make health and medicine appealing to a, to a mass audience and he's hanging out at the set and, and the planning meetings and, and watching that unfurl and then he's also watching him be a doctor and at one point even goes to uh, an open heart surgery that he's performing and he's in the room and there's this incredible scene where um, Dr. Oz asks him if he's ever seen the soul before Mm-hmm. And calls him over to peer into this woman's chest cavity, and he points out this uh, place in in the chest
0: Ouch.
1: that he view- he thinks is the most beautiful part of the human body because it's where everything connects by the heart, and it's this incredible moment. Um, but I remember, you know, Bernie told me that it was one of the uh, he's one of the public figures that he's profiled who has really haunted him the most. And he stopped back a lot to that process because he could not for the life of him figure out why this guy seemed more interested in this dopey television show and this celebrity than in this incredible work Mm -hmm. of, you know, peering into the soul, you know, and and affecting people's lives on that level and, and, you know, how he could be so flippant, basically, um, about the work that he was doing as a heart surgeon. He was very, he was strangely in that piece, uh, openly blase about it. And on the one hand you could say, Oh, well maybe that's just him being, you know, arrogant. That's another aspect of, of, you know, what the a surgeon's personality is like. But on the other hand it's sort of eerie and strange and is really, and I thought it was interesting Is stuck with Bruni all that time. But I, I kept thinking about that and I kept referring back to that piece and, and reading that, that, section over um, when I was working on this because it just struck me as so strange, <laughs> so deeply strange and so indicative of like what type of personality we're dealing with here. And in some ways, he's the perfect person for politics because he is interested in strategizing to like move up the next rank in life. That is clearly how he approaches things. And so I thought what his wife wrote in her book uh, was really interesting because she was sort of telling the story as like a story about their marriage and a story about like, you know, dealing with the person that she loves and and um, trying to figure him out and knowing him on that level, identifying what the problem was and and helping to identify a fix for the problem. It was sort of like It was not a disturbing story as she told it. You know, it was sort of like, one time this happened to Mehmet and, you know, we figured it out and moved on. And I thought that was really interesting and and probably explained what we were looking at here. Because I always want to, I'm always so confused genuinely when somebody gets into politics because it makes no sense. It's a terrible life.
0: Right especially when you've been successful and you have a life and everything is good, why would you want to subject yourself to that? It's a great question.
1: Yeah, not just that, but like Dr. Oz, even if you thought that he was like a witch doctor or thought that he was a scam artist in the last five, six, 10 years, I would listen to the interviews that he would do with, you know, Jordan Peterson or Ryan Holiday, people like that, and he was still nuanced in his thinking. Like he, even when he Mm -hmm. was clearly shifting rightward, it's not like he was a blowhard. He had a genuine curiosity and like a lot of his content, you know, I think to produce that amount of content, again, to go back to that, you kind of have to just let other people talk. And so he did a lot of that, you know, it was a lot of mm-hmm. him just, say, aha, uh-huh, why is that for, and, you know, yeah. filling an hour that way. But he was genuinely curious, it seemed, and open-minded and, you know, not overly simplistic, thinker and he's clearly a smart guy I mean, just because you have degrees obviously it doesn't mean that you're um you know a great intellectual you can be successful in one area um or you know intelligent about one thing and it doesn't have to apply across the board obviously but i was so perplexed by it because you it struck me that you know there has to be a real dumbing down in order for this to work in this primary or in, you know in any right Republican very primary. much so yeah, yeah. Um, and so not only are you looking at just a, a total like degradation of his quality of life and like all of the obvious things. you've got people like me calling your wife and ruining your day. You've got you know the bulwark podcast ruining your mm-hmm. day maybe, but you also have just like a, a destruction of, of your reputation
0: intellectually i think and for and for what does he want to be a legislator this is what's interesting people get into politics do they actually want to go and work on committees and bills and negotiate there's this disconnect it's almost as if running for office now is just a different brand of celebrity as opposed to the specific work that you're doing so you make all of those sacrifices, do all of those things to do what? To, to, to sit at a, you know, Senate Labor Committee hearing all day?
1: Right. Or is it because it's a springboard to a higher office? I mm-hmm. think, you know, in this case, it, it seems like there's a good possibility that it's that it's a ladder. But you're right. I talked to um, Congressman Brendan Boyle, um, who, who reps a district in Pennsylvania. He would have repped the House that Mehmet Oz is now claiming that he's renting from his father-in-law, but it's a, it's this like estate across from a country club before redistricting Boyle would have been his representative if Dr. Oz actually lived there, which he does not. He lives in New Jersey, but um, he was talking about how fed up he is. I mean, Boyle is someone who, whatever you make of his politics, he, he really cares about policy. Um, yeah. He's right. Like a, a total wonk. He's also the only person I've ever met who went to Harvard and did not volunteer that fact to me. <laughs>
0: like, Amazing. A, u- a unicorn.
1: <laughs> a total unicorn. Um, I actually made a joke. I said, well, I know you didn't go to Harvard because you would have told me. He said, um, actually, I did go to Harvard. <laughs> but he is... By the way, of- that's,
0: that is not a joke. I mean, people should try this in their lives. Honestly, I do think that people who went to Harvard are incapable of going more than 15 minutes. I would actually pay cash money. If you found you know, um, somebody from Harvard who will not bring it up in some context in the first 15 minutes... <laughs>
1: I mean, look, I'm a dropout, so all of that is, like, totally foreign <laughs> to me, and I don't understand, like, why people uh, over, you know, college age advertise where they went to college. But Boyle, he really cares about policy, and he's really, besides, I think, being ideologically repelled by by people like Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene, he's just really fed up with these celebrity legislators, who are not interested in sitting in, like, committee hearings and going over um, the, the fine details of legislation. Yeah. They don't give a shit about that. They want to nope. uh, get on Tucker or, you know, whatever the, the equivalent of that is, Infowars. They want to be part of a culture war. They want to make memes. They do not want to make the country a better place through legislation, whatever their picture of that is, they're not interested in that. And so, you know, he, he views Dr. Oz as very much being a part of that genre of politician. And I, I mean, I guess time will tell whether or not that is true. And, and it's, perhaps it's difficult to judge someone during a Republican primary when they necessarily have to be dumbing themselves down and oversimplifying and speaking in meme. Maybe he'll surprise us if he makes it through and and uh, starts running a very nuanced campaign in a general election. I don't know, but this is someone who is very enamored with celebrity from his first brush with it.
0: Right. And of course, you know, you make the point, don't, don't underestimate somebody who's been on TV this long. I mean, that that that's, I think, one of the great takeaways from from this time. I mean, you know, can he win? Yeah, of course he can win. So do you have a sense of what Trump might do and whether that would be decisive in this primary if this hedge fund CEO, McCormick, gets in and Trump endorses him? Is that is that pretty much it for Oz? I mean, he's already got huge uh, headwinds in the Republican Party. Uh, That seems to me to be uh, would would be almost fatal for somebody who's sort of counting on inheriting the the, the Maga Sean Parnell vote.
1: I don't know what Trump will do. I think there's a good chance that he doesn't get involved until the field winnows, naturally. I don't know. But I think it's very much worth paying attention to the fact that very senior Trump officials, people who are very close to him, are lined up to work for David McCormick. Hope Hicks is going to work for David McCormick. She's very Dina mm. Powell. Um, Cliff Sims, who obviously had a kind of rocky... <laughs> Um Passed the in the Trump administration, he you know was fired and then wrote a tell-all, well not really a tell some no. book, a very yeah. good book.
0: But tell a um, bit, yeah.
1: No. It was a very good book, um, mm-hmm. but a tell a some book called uh, A Team of Vipers, and then but then he was welcomed back into the administration. Uh, after that, he's lined up to work for David McCormick. There are a number of people who are advising David McCormick on an unofficial basis already, who have very good relationships with Trump. And so I think that that could be influential. And you know it's totally possible that enough enough pressure exu- is exerted that Dr. Oz drops out before he has to make a financial filing or something and disclose uh, what that looks like. I don't know. but but I do think David McCormick is also untested, and we have no idea how he's going to perform as a candidate, how he's going to be under pressure on the during a Fox News interview you know, how he's going to answer questions about Ray Dalio. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, He's uh, the CEO of Bridgewater Associates, which is uh, Ray Dalio's hedge fund. It's the largest in the world. And Ray Dalio, incidentally, is a close personal friend of Dr. Oz. So that's a little awkward. But um, I, I think it's a very uncertain situation so far. And I wouldn't say that Oz is like dead in the water in Pennsylvania and I do think, I mean, I, I was very surprised by how willing the kind of MAGA universe operatives were to dismiss Oz because I just kept saying, well, wait, but you could say all of this about Trump. Don't you see the appeal? And really, nobody was interested in that at all.
0: Isn't that interesting? It, some of these things are non transferable. You
1: no, know, it's a very cliquish universe, mm-hmm. and it's really not about merit. <laughs>
0: Well, and there's and and look, and those, the stakes are much higher than they were back in 2015. I mean, there's there's more of a universe. Uh, there's there's spoils to be divided. There are oh, factions. Yeah. Um, so it, it's 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 a very diff- it's a very different environment than it was five six years ago. Now,
1: totally. Um, I think it's a totally different environment. And I uh, and I, but I think at the end of the day, it's really it is a cliquish environment. And I think there's also just a lot of anxiety among Republicans about not fucking this up. Yep. And they really can't fuck Pennsylvania up. And so I, I think maybe they're going to decide that the, in their words, you know, the globalist hedge fund guy uh, is a safer bet. I don't know, but uh, what it seems like it's trending
0: toward right now. Which heresy are they willing to swallow? Uh, If you have not read the article, it is fantastic. Uh, It is entertaining. It is insightful. The political life of Dr. Oz, his campaign to be the next Republican senator from Pennsylvania is facing one major problem, Republicans in Pennsylvania. Olivia Nuzzi, the Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. Thank you so much for joining me and spending so much time with us today, Olivia.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And thank you all for listening to the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, January 6th. We'll do this all over again.